At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK, Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Big hello to all the subscribers. Thanks for checking out the uh, the series every week. In fact, three times a week if you keep up with all the interviews. Hopefully, if you haven't already, you can uh, you can give us a, a rating, leave a review as well. If you're not a subscriber, take that moment to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast from. Keep up with all the interviews that we do put out Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You can do so at uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Acast, any of the places you get your podcast from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Kathy Valentine of The Go-Go's. We're going to be heading back to 1994 for the compilation that came out 25 years ago called Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. Now, not only was this a cool compilation at that moment, but it is still a cool way to listen to the Go-Go's. If you're looking for an overall arc of their entire career, this is a really good place to start or just pop into whenever, even if you're already a hardcore fan. And Kathy and I are going to talk about several different eras of the compilation, starting with the late 70s when they were a punk band in a punk scene back in L.A. In fact, that era has a really interesting bridge, the late 70s punk, to when they put this compilation out in 94, considering that punk had made its return by the mid-90s, thanks to bands like Nirvana and, of course, Green Day and well, you know the history of that. And that wasn't lost on the band either. That's tied in not only in the lyrics to the uh, the hit song that came off of the record, 
called The Whole World Lost Its Head, but who they were playing with. Kathy tells us stories about uh, about playing with Hole around that time and, and Green Day and the Riot Girl movement. And it's a fun fact. We didn't talk about this in the interview, but it is a fun fact that... Uh, Nirvana had uh, Pat Smear as the guitarist. Before Nirvana, Pat was in a band, a punk band called The Germs, and the very first drummer for The Germs was Belinda Carlisle, who would go on to help found The Go-Go's. The Go-Go's have a direct tie to Nirvana and the grunge movement. And it's with ideas like that that we'll also discuss why it's ridiculous that The Go-Go's aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They haven't even been up for a nomination yet. So all of that's in there. We're also going to catch up on what uh, the band's been doing lately. There is a documentary about the Go-Go's in the works. There has been a Broadway musical that just wrapped up its uh, its its first run and is finding its way down to, uh, even as Kathy says, uh, high schools putting it on. And she'll also update us on what she's got going on outside of the Go-Go's. There is a biography, a Kathy Valentine biography coming out next year, and she's doing a soundtrack to go along with it. So hang out for all of those details as we talk about the 25th anniversary of Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. It's Kyle Meredith with Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. So, you know, there's always a lot of nostalgia tied to the Go-Go's, but uh, I, I wanted to kind of concentrate first on, uh, on 1994 because it's the 20th, 25th anniversary of uh, Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. And by 1994, I mean, the band had, had already came and gone and, and came back again. And, and maybe we just kind of start there. What did it feel like to be a go-go in 1994? I felt, you know, very grateful. You know, obviously, we had, I think we had not played together in quite a while. We kind of reunited after breaking up in 1990. And... We split apart again, and so it was kind of the first time in a while we had we had gotten to to play and stuff, and it was really exciting to work on something new. That was the best thing of all to do, you know, to write new material, and that's what made it seem very. Uh, it felt it felt valid, you know. It felt relevant to right. be doing new stuff. And you got three, you know, songs there towards uh, right, well, right at the end of uh, of the compilation with "Good Girl," "Beautiful," and "The Whole World Lost Its Head." Uh, one of your compositions there too. Why was it not a full length record? Was there any reason at that point? Well, the impetus wasn't to make a record. The IRS had decided to do the introspect or the retrospective to kind of cover everything that hadn't been covered in the band's history, I think, and to have an oral chart of the journey of the band. But for us, we felt like it wasn't enough, that that just it wasn't enough to make an interesting package and to really be a journey that it should go up until the present. And the present didn't have anything. So we decided to make something to, to that would bring it up to the bring the journey of the whole retrospective up into the present day. And that was the impetus. It, it wasn't like the other way around where, oh, let's make a record and only write three songs for it and fill it up with other stuff. Were those sessions any different from the ones in the past? I mean, obviously, you know, with, with history, the way it had played at that point, do, do you remember how those sessions went? Yeah, I remember very well because, um, you know, we, we worked with a producer named John Porter and John was somebody I was familiar with and I really liked his whole aesthetic about music and his what what he was into and it brought another element. He was very, you know, very deeply enmeshed in rock and blues and just a, a very 
Catholic knowledge and breadth of, of taste and what he was into and what he liked. And bringing that to the band was really different because in the past we'd worked with Richard Goddard twice, who was fantastic, and Martin Russian, who was also fantastic. But I think both of their strongest influences were a bit more narrower than John Porter's. So I think the, the sound uh, and the production really benefited from it, it was a departure for us. So the sessions reflected all of those new elements. You know, looking at the lyrics of uh, of The Whole World Lost Its Head, and you've got that line in there, Mary ate her little lamb and punk rock isn't dead, which I, I don't know if you meant it to be, but was so well-timed, you know, for that era, too, mm-hmm. uh, considering, you know, punk rock had... Had had made its you know breakthrough once again with uh, with the latest wave and Nirvana and everything that happened there as history told us. And when you consider like if a band is around long enough, if if a band is around especially over decades, you get to a point where you know there's a lull and then eventually it comes back around and you start seeing all the influence and all the you know bands saying how big of an influence you know that band was to them or whatever. What what I'm getting to here is it seemed to happen so much quicker with the Go-Go's. Like, here you are only in the second decade, and you have bands right away saying, we love the Go-Go's. They were a huge influence on us. I mean, I, I, I think I, think I you know, I remember, what was it, Everclear doing Our Lips Were Sealed? And that was still in the you know late, early 90s or something like that. And it seems like there was a lot of that going on, right? Yeah, and a lot of the the Riot Girl bands and stuff. And I remember the 90s was when... I don't know if they still do this, but a lot of the radio stations were were having these big concerts with, with um, like Christmas concerts and this and that. And it'd be like a radio station with and all the bands of the era would be would be on these. It was kind of like I think it might have predated some of the big you know annual festivals. Mm-hmm. So we were doing a lot of those, and sometimes there would be bands that you know we were kind of worried would we would feel like you know the dinosaurs or something but instead we got we got so much uh, credit and acceptability we one of the shows we played with hole and you know we were scared we were scared what courtney was going to say and she went up and said if it wasn't for the go-go's i wouldn't be here so it was really nice to kind of get that that acknowledgement and that recognition at that time it's appropriate that we'd be talking about this today when the rock hall nominees came out oh, right and the Go-Go's were once again overlooked. You know, we've been eligible for some time and we don't, we've never even made it onto the nominating list. And it, it kind of amazes me that, that uh, how overlooked we are, considering that the influence was quite acknowledged in the 90s, maybe not so much now, because as you get further and further away, you know, there's probably more girls starting bands now because of Avril Lavigne than the Go-Go's. <laughs> but, but, you know, as you, as you get further away, that, that influence maybe starts looking diluted or something. But the 90s, like you say, it was close enough to when we had been at our heights of our, of our success. There, there, it was a strong influence, and it was felt, and it was acknowledged. And that was a, a nice thing. If I had known then that we, you know, we would go on to be ignored, I would have <laughs> been even more happier about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way it goes. Well, and it, and it is nice because, you know, this comp- that we're talking about with Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's does paint that really well. I mean, when you go back, and I know that, you know, there's that, that first little section there uh, predates your time in the band, but 
but you know they as it's been told i mean the go-go's pretty much came from if not the punk scene then a punk sound i would say the punk scene i think the way i understand it is and i mean i was in la i wasn't in the go-go's but i was in la and i was definitely in the clubs and seeing all the bands that were happening and the, the the thing is that the the punk rock scene really leveled the playing field as to who could have a band and it i think it really opened things up for women you know a lot and it just seemed like it was about your your message and your attitude and and your passion and and so many things rather than your virtuosity city i mean for me when i first started playing i i thought i would have to be as good as i was playing guitar when i first started and i thought i would have to be as good as as jeff Beck, you know before i could have a band and then all of a sudden there's the ramones and the pistols and i'm like oh well wait a minute I can do this now. Didn't I read uh, Susie Quattro had also, that was one of the moments for you. Was that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was before punk rock. That was when, for me, that was when I realized that, that she was the first woman I saw being a rock star. And there had been others. There had been others, but I didn't know about them because I guess if a, if a, if a female band that was maybe got together and was playing in the sixties, if they didn't get, if they didn't become, Herman's Hermits or something and become like hits on the radio, it was deemed irrelevant. But I think for girls, for young teenage girls, it wouldn't have been irrelevant at all to have seen or known about the early bands, but it, it, you didn't see a lot of them. I didn't even know about Fanny until 1981. I didn't even know there was a Fanny. <laughs> so there were a lot of bands, a lot of women playing music, but they didn't always filter down to the girls in the 70s that were starting, that were interested in playing and I know Susie Quattro is what made me realize I could be a, a, a musician or I was already playing guitar, but it didn't occur to me that I could be in a band and be a, you know, be a rock star, or a pop star. And I know that she was the same. It was the same deal for Joan Jett. I mean, Joan worshipped Susie. She's got a, uh, uh, Susie's got a new record out and it's fantastic if you haven't heard it. No, I haven't. I would love to hear it. Who produced it? Um, I'm not sure who produced it. It's called No Control. I don't know. It's, it's Susie Quattro. It sounds like Susie Quattro. It sounds exactly like I'd want it to sound like too. It's, it's really, really I good. Got to, uh, I got to meet her a few years ago and give her an award at a women's music conference. And it was just such a, a a cool thing after all these years to get to tell her what she, how she had changed my life and be the one to, to present her with this kind of Vanguard award. It was really cool. I'll kind of pull it back in here too. Although while we're kind of around the, in that area, you know, uh, so as we're looking at this compilation, when you do finally pop in to the band, you brought some of what would become hits with you. I mean, Vacation came from, it predates the Go-Go's, right? Yeah, Vacation, I had recorded in the text tones, and uh, we kind of rushed into our second record and weren't really prepared material-wise, but we had already started doing Vacation. I had shown that song to Charlotte when we were hanging out one night, and as soon as it got worked up, we... um, I mean, our very first live concert video was filmed in, uh, I think it was the end of 81 at Palos Verdes High School, and it was called Totally Go-Go's, and our very early version of Vacation is on that. So we were we were already doing it live, so that became one of the first ones that we worked up. And then another song I'd written from the, the text tone days made it onto the record, which is called We Don't Get Along. So, yeah, we, we kind of had to scramble to find material, and 
I had a few ready to go. How how similar or different were they from the Textones to the Go-Go's, those songs? Vacation, when I showed it to Charlotte, she, she thought that it needed a stronger chorus. So the two of us wrote the chorus together. So you, you will hear the same structure and melody and words. But the part that we we worked on together was the vacation. All I ever wanted had to get away. The chorus, basically, we worked on that together. And then the the hooks, like the intro, da 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 da. Mm-hmm. We came up with that in the studio. I don't think that was in the song that I wrote. It wasn't. But the Texans version was a little bit more thrashy, kind of like funky pop version. Yeah. And we don't get along was a little bit more of a traditional rock and roll kind of song, which wasn't the Go-Go's exact direction, but but we we kind of did our own version of it. Uh, I'll close out with that compilation because I did want to hit back on that single with the whole world lost its head. Uh, lost its head ended up being uh, a huge hit in the UK, but it, it, it's one of those songs that sort of finds relevance, you know, w- with every new era. How the songs kind of update themselves. We have, uh, I think, two or three times, and it's sad because I don't know if we have it documented. But two or three times when we've added that song into our touring set over the years, uh, we've rewritten the lyrics. Oh, really? Yeah, to reflect the the more current times. Because, I mean, some of the lines work, like you say, they can be slotted into any era. But but there was so much crazy shit going on that uh, each all the time. But really now, we even rewrote the lyrics for um, last summer when we played the Hollywood Bowl. But... Because it was the, the, we were playing with the Philharmonic and it was like 4th of July. <sighs> we kind of got dissuaded to do it because it was pretty harsh about, about what's going on now. It was, it was pretty, um, you know, I wish I had the lyrics. I'm, I'm sure I got them somewhere. Cause, but anyway, yeah, we've, we've changed those lyrics to reflect the time as we added it into the concert set. Cause we've toured, you know, pretty much since uh 94 95 since that record came out yeah we we pretty much toured on a regular basis and many times we would add uh whole world lost its head and update it yeah. and sometimes we'd pass the lyrics we'd print out a bunch and pass them out to the people in the audience so they could sing along with oh, us cool yeah i mean uh, on on one hand it's oddly comforting to know that it's always been crazy to a point although you know I was plenty old enough back then, and I'm plenty old enough now to see the difference in in what we're going through. And it it does seem much crazier at this point, like what sometimes what I would give for what we thought was crazy in '94, you know, versus oh, now. Oh yeah, I mean nowadays we could rewrite the lyrics to the whole world lost its head every week. Right. I mean, literally, right. it's like it's it's I, like I I sometimes I just have to like go. I'm not looking at the news. I'm not going to look at it anymore. I can't handle it. So yeah, we could we could redo that one on a weekly basis, or definitely a monthly basis. Um, probably this entire uh, last couple of years. But yeah, the one we wrote last year, it had it, it had a lot of stuff in it. It had um, I'm sure I have them somewhere. There's probably versions. There's probably YouTube live stuff of us doing other versions. We always keep Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> or ate, ate her little lamb right. in punk rock. We always keep that line. It's a hell of a line. But it's my Claudia, favorite line. Yeah, the, you know, Claudia Schiffer and all that stuff, that kind of got dated. So anything that was dated went out. And we, there's never a lack of material put in that song. 
So coming up then, the documentary, is that really what's the big thing that's happening next? Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is happening next, and I'm pretty in the dark about it. We still haven't seen a cut of it, and we still don't know when it will premiere, but we've been told by the director, who we have a lot of trust in, Allison Elwood, that it's one of, if not her favorite, one of her favorite projects she's ever done. And I'm, we're all very curious and really excited about it because prior to this documentary, the only thing really out there was behind the music, which none of the, nobody in the band was thrilled with that. They, we really felt like they kind of form fit a narrative that what they wanted the story to be and kind of didn't go into some of the really positive, fun, and influential aspects of the band. So hopefully the documentary will circle around and help that acknowledging relevance issue we seem to be having lately. Documentaries are working so well right now. It seems like we're getting a lot, but each one of them seems to land with the impact that I would guess the artist would hope for. But uh I don't know. Uh, there's something in the air. There's something in the air right now, it feels like, for the Go-Go's. So. Something significant about the three new songs off of Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. Two of those songs, Good Girl and Beautiful, were both prominently featured in the our Broadway musical, Head Over Heels. Oh, right. And uh, they were highlights. And we, I was really happy when that, that, you know, we had a good six-month run on Broadway, and it's now uh, appearing in regional theaters and theater groups and high schools. A lot of high schools are, are uh, licensing this musical, which is great because of it's got so many themes of, of inclusion and love and all its forms. But one of the things I was really happy about was how how they really mined the catalog and, and chose songs that that hadn't had that much exposure. And both Beautiful and Good Girl were just standouts in that in the musical. That's what I mean. I mean, with the musical going on, with the occasional reunion show you all have been doing, you know, it's 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 time. It, it, it's it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, as you said, that the Go Go's aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's, but uh, you know, I can't even blame them. I mean, I've seen I've, they have a thing there where the where people that visit vote, you know, on who they think should be nominated. And we're not getting those votes either. So I, it would be great to say, oh, those rock hall people, they, they have a vendetta against us. But you can't really because it's just a general kind of overlook. Mm-hmm. We're just overlooked. And, you know, I get it. It took me a long time before I started really crediting Susie Quattro. I didn't, you know, when you're when you're kind of in the present, you don't really go around talking about what made you want to do what you do. But as you get older and, and, and retrospective, I mean, now, especially I've written a, uh, I've written a memoir that's coming out in, in April, 2020. And um, I'm super excited about this book. And I, I think that, I think with the, with the book, which really, you know, it's written from the point of view of a, of a, a girl who decided she wanted to be in a band. Of course, I'm talking in a third person and me, and wanted to be in a band and traces that journey and, and the, the rise of the Go-Go's and what, and from my perspective, the significance of everything we did together and accomplished. And I think with this book and the documentary, hopefully some people will start speaking up, you know? I mean, we, we did some shows with Green Day and, you know, the, 
the drummer Trey said that he learned to play drums by playing along to Gina on, yeah. on our, our records. So that always helps when, when artists speak up, you know. That, and I, I don't know how, as they go into other female-centered bands, I mean, Whitney Houston and Pat Benatar are nominees this year, and I don't think they would ever say that the go go were an influence. But <laughs> but there's a lot of a lot of females in the '90s that had bands that I think would right. say that that we we did the same thing for them that Susie Quattro did for me. I, I love the Go Go's. I mean, you all have put out some of my all time favorite music. And uh, and any oh, excuse, yeah, any excuse I can ever get to revisit it, I always take. I also wanted to ask about uh, you know what you've got going on outside of the Go Go's too. Um, any solo singles or, or another Blue Bonnets? Are you going to do that? Uh, what, what's next uh, after this? Like I said, I have my book coming out, which which has been my focus for the past three years. It took me to write that, and I finished it, and I've been writing a soundtrack to it. And it's been one of the most creative and fun and exciting musical things I've ever done. And I really like that because I'm 60 years old and I've been in bands nonstop since for 45 years, basically. And there's, there's not a lot of females walking around that can say they have not been in a band <laughs> ever <laughs> in 45 years. You know, I mean, when the Go-Go's aren't playing, I'm still... Playing. I'm still in a band and I'm still playing and I, I really have enjoyed that. So with this and I did do a solo record in 2005, but it's really just never been, you know, I kind of just always wanted to be a girl in a band. But doing this soundtrack for my book, it's, it's just really cool to me to be doing something so exciting and new and different and cool at, at 60 after playing in bands for 45 years to, that, that I'm still so excited and I'm really loving it. And it will be something that will help promote the book and something to make my book appearances more interesting because I'll be able to kind of play stuff that goes along with the chapters. It's completely inspired by the, it's a soundtrack basically. It's not just a record not just the song, it's a soundtrack. So it's very different and cool. And uh, the Blue Bonnets just did a very short tour and support. Uh, we were supporting the Toadies, which is another oh, yeah. band from that same era when we, or, or what we were talking about. And that was super fun. Uh, great guys, great audiences. That was really good. And um, the Go-Go's have work coming up this summer. So I'm I'm really busy. I mean, i very fulfilled musically and with this new thing of writing i i think i did a really good job on this book and i am very much looking forward to continuing that as part of my career is is i want to continue to write and uh write more books because i think i'm good at it yeah i cannot and wait to read it thank you i'm yeah. excited yeah uh who's putting out the book out of curiosity. UT Press. They've released some, some really cool books. Vivian Goldman's, you know, uh, Revenge of the, of the Sheep Hunks, and Kristen Hirsch, uh, the book she did on Vic Chestnut, and uh, the book on A Tribe Called Quest. I mean, they're just doing so many cool. I couldn't be more more proud to be affiliated with, with uh, UT Press. I'm really just feel really honored that they asked me and and proud to be in their their catalog and there'll be an audio book too so 
Well, hopefully we can catch oh, up again good. when uh, when that happens, when the book comes around. I'd love to talk to you about that as well. And, Kathy, I would love that. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time today and heading back in time a little bit with me. I, I so appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kyle. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kathy. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. My thanks, Kathy Valentine, the Go-Go's 25th anniversary of Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. And all that she's got coming up, too, the uh, the bio, the soundtrack, it's going to be really exciting to keep up with Kathy, in the, uh, especially in the next coming year. And a big thanks to you, too, for checking out the series here. Before you get out, I hope if you haven't already, give the series a rating, leave that review. And if you're not subscribed, hit that subscribe button. We have new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists. Just type in Kyle Meredith with wherever you get your podcast from. Hit that subscribe button. After that, WFPK.org. That's where I do a show at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and interviews. WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter, at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.